Dude, how are you? God, it took you long enough to get on the microphone here. What's going on? We got a guest waiting for you and everything. I know. I Here's the thing. So New York City's, it, I guess it's stage two, they're saying now. So okay. bars are back open. and But like when I mean bars, like you have to be outside. Restaurants are outside. But they took away the parking in front of all the restaurants and they put tables there for the restaurants, which <laughs> sounds great and it sounds nice because some people... Wait, like, so people are sitting in the streets so people now? Are, they put tables like where a parking spot would be in New York City. So basically people are eating lasagna and sucking exhaust fumes in New York City. It's so <laughs> great. Nothing like eating a baked potato as a homeless guy asks you for a dollar. You know, it's so bad. How do you get out of that conversation? So because of that... There's no parking. So I am one of the fortunate people. I have a car in New York City, which is like when you have a car in New York City, it's like you're 17 years old again. People are like, oh, my God, he's got a car. You know, like you feel like you're rich. <laughs> like everyone's asking yeah, you. It's like, yo, can you go to Ikea with me? Can I go to like it's it's the worst and best thing. But I had to park my car like 40 blocks away from where I live. And oh, <laughs> here's the thing is now they also allowed like fireworks are like legal in New Jersey, so it's very easy for people to get fireworks now in New York City. So all night there's fireworks going like crazy all over New York City, Manhattan, like in the middle of the night, just fireworks going off. It sounds insane. So I parked like 40 blocks away from my where I live, and then I jumped on a scooter. Now they have Vespas, which is sort of cool. Yeah. I jump on my Vespa because like it's like when I my Vespa, they have like these city bike type Vespas around New York City. We could rent and just pick them up and drive them wherever you want and just leave them. But I get on a Vespa. I'm taking this ride through New York City, but there's like explosions going on everywhere. Like I'm, it's there's like fireworks going crazy. It's like I'm driving my my Vespa through Baghdad. It's fucking <laughs> insane, dude. And I'm just flying through Harlem, like Indiana Jones, trying to get out of there and just trying to get home to record the podcast with you, my friend. How are you? I'm doing so good. I'm really excited about our guest today. I know we say that every cut. I, I guess we feel like kind of like a broken record. We're like, we're excited about our guests. But like, this is a big guest for us. <laughs> you know what it is? It's, I mean, we're going to get into the guesses. But when you have people like the, our guest today that, you know, I don't want to give away yet, but that. I like how you're on, like giving away. They can read it on the, the, oh yeah, <laughs> the bottom so. when they go to download the podcast. Yeah. I mean, listen, this person's been on one of the biggest shows of all time. And it's just cool to have them and just try to hear some insight on that. It's just cool. It's just cool. But no one else is cool, Dex. What else is cool, Adam? We have our team. Our team that we work with. We work with Autograph City, the popular Facebook group that my friends at Primetime Signatures. We uh, we do like the coolest contest with them. It's the easiest contest ever. Thanks to our friends at Primetime Signatures. Make sure you check them out on uh, Autograph City on Facebook. And if you want to find out more about them, just check out their website, Primetime Sigs and Primetime Signatures, and you get a discount because you're a listener of Hollywood Raw. Dak, you explain it. I'm sick of it. So I'm basically, I'm pissed. <laughs> well, it's funny is because, so like everyone's always like, hey, like every podcast host is like, please give us reviews, give us, you know, leave us a comment. Like it's it's kind of the normal thing to do, but we're like, you know what, let's kind of entice people to do this. Let's, let's give them something in return. So by teaming up with Primetime Signatures, they gave us a huge stack of celebrity autographs. And we're talking huge people here. We Great gave away names. Paris Hilton last week. Uh, we've the, the list goes on and on. And we've got a bunch of A-listers. But we just said, you know, just go leave a review. Give us some stars. like, And to show our appreciation, 
we'll read your comment, we'll read your name, and give away an autograph. So this week, um, I, I, I just went on, checked out some of the, the latest reviews, and this one got me because this person's a paramedic. Uh, right, it's cool. Kim. She she's a paramedic, and apparently our podcast is being is super entertaining. It's interesting, and she loves listening to us. I won't read the whole thing, but Kim, we appreciate you. We thank you. And so, Adam, you've got the stack at your house. Can I have you go the stack. Ahead and, uh, so make sure you pull, DM me. DM me your information. DM me your address. Uh, I will not show up your house personally. I don't think, but I will. DM me your address. <laughs> I'm sending you actually a really cool autograph. I have a Matt Damon Wait, here, autograph do we, coming can your we way. Do- Oh, Matt Damon! Yes. I was gonna do a drum roll, and then you didn't let me do the drum roll. You Sorry, just dude. Blurted I it, it out. It's fucking Matt Damon, dude. <laughs> but it's so Kim. Kim, thank you for leaving a review, and uh, you got a Matt Damon autograph coming your way. Just send me a DM me your address, and it's coming your way. And guys, just leave a good review. This is the easiest contest ever. You leave a review every. So week you know what I found out winner. though. What's that? Adam, I found out that this is a really easy contest for anyone who has an iPhone. For people that have Androids, it's not as easy. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> Seriously, because no, like there's Stitcher and iTunes are like the only place that really do reviews. Okay. Like Spotify doesn't. So the way you get around it is uh, if you have like um, an Android, you have to actually like log in on your computer versus your phone and leave a review. So that's kind of like the catch-22. But people with iPhones, they make it so easy. So I'm really sorry. But if you have a – go on your friend's iPhone and leave us leave us a review under your name, and we'll, we'll hook you up with it. Dude, it's the easiest contest ever. And, uh, thank again, big thank you to our friends at Primetime Signatures. Make sure you check out their Facebook group, Autograph City. They auction off some insane stuff, and it's really cool. But congratulations to this week's winner because you just won Kim. a Matt – Damon autograph. Uh, so I uh, thank okay, you. Okay, we got to move. We got to move on. Let's get into our guest. She's patiently waiting here for us. So I don't want to make her wait any longer. Um, but I, you know, I'm stoked because I was a big fan of The Office. I mean, it ran nine season. It's a hugely successful show. Um, and this woman embodied the character of Meredith Palmer. So let's welcome Kate Flannery. Kate, yes. thank you for coming on the podcast. How are you? What's up, Office fans? <laughs> <laughs> I got to imagine that everywhere you go, like, does everyone call you Meredith? Does it get annoying? I mean, unless they look me up on IMDb or something, they look me up on, on you know, some people do know my my name, but that's okay. I answer to both. I answer. I, I'm happy to be known as Meredith in the office. Totally. I was gonna, I was gonna say I've I've always wondered that with these people that have such iconic roles, <laughs> it's almost like that has just become their name. So I, I got to imagine more people just, hey Meredith, like I talk to you as if that is your real name all the time. <laughs> no, it's not completely true though, because a lot of people look up. You know, there's because of social media and stuff. I have so many followers, so people know my real name. And you know, and I'm one of the few people in the office that actually doesn't have my real first name as a character, which I think is better because if they call me Meredith, then I know I didn't go to grade school with you and I'm not being a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta be tough to be Angela, I'm just telling you. So we're going to get into the office, but let's first start at the beginning. You were mostly doing improv sketch. You were, you know, what were you, were you doing improv or kind of long? Actually, my, my aunt sent me a ticket to check out Second City. She lived in Chicago. And um, I got to stay with her. So I, I went on, I, like the first time I went to Second City, I, my mind was blown. It was just like, it was incredible. It was, I actually, Jane, we figured out later, Jane Lynch was actually understudying the first night I ever went there. She was on stage. 
And then we ended up working. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, so I studied at uh, Second City and then I ended up uh, working in the touring company. And I was also working in another theater in Chicago called the Annoyance Theater, where I did a ton of shows. And um, one of them was a show called The Real Life Brady Bunch, which went off Broadway, which went to L.A., which big national tour. Andy Richter was Mr. Brady. Uh, first, Jane Lynch was Mrs. Brady. Anna Gasteyer did the tour as Alice. I was the second Alice in the original cast, but I did a bunch of non-Brady roles at first. I didn't miss it. It was just crazy. It was like this thing that just kind of kept having another life and another life and another life. Jane Lynch, Anna Gasteyer. Andy Richter. Yeah, who else did you come, like, that became big stars from your, like, younger days? Second City, it was uh, Steve Carell, uh, Stephen Colbert, uh, Nia Vardalis, um, Amy Sedaris. I mean, there were so many. I mean, John Favreau actually wasn't working there on stage. He was a he was a host. I was doing a bunch of shows with him. I was on the same improv team with him at Improv Olympic. We took class with Del Close at that time, and we were at a show called Mance and the Musical together. <laughs> it's so crazy. So you actually worked with Del Close. Yeah, yeah. He did not like women though. He was not. He was he was tough. He was tough on the women for sure. But he's an amazing he was an amazing teacher. What was so good about Del Close? Now people are listening like who is Del Close? Del Close was I mean, you know, people Pretty alone, but he was like the improv guru. Uh he was the first improv guru that I was aware of. And so to get to study with him was amazing because he understood things on such a different level and just the, the patterns of comedy and like playing at the top of your intelligence and all those things that we will hopefully continue to do during our career if we're lucky, you know. <laughs> so was anybody in that class that, you know, you, you named some huge names again, Steve Carell, who was the one person like you were kind of working with? Because at that time, it's you know, I, and I'm just thinking like you guys were all uh, we were all struggling for sure. My first cast, at second, we were all in different casts at Second City, though, because there was a bunch of different casts. At the sure. Same time. So my cast was um, Scott Adsit, who played Pete on 30 Rock. 30 Rock, yeah. And then uh, um, Tom Purcell, who who was, uh, as I think, he's still writing for Stephen Colbert. I, I think those are the only two people that you would, yeah, and Susie Nakamura, actually Susie and I were hired at the same same time. Susie was, uh, she's on Avenue 5 now on um, on uh, HBO, but she was on Dr. Can, she's been on West Wing, she's been on a million TV shows. Was there one of those people when you guys were all coming up, who, who was the one person you're like, oh my God, this person is going to be a star? Um, I don't know, it was so, I mean, I felt like, I don't know, there were so many great people. Um, it was, you know, but I just remember being in the room with, whenever there was a sketch with Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert, it was like something much bigger was happening. It was incredible, like really incredible. Like, holy crap, what are they doing? This is so smart, <laughs> so insane. So I'm, That's you know, awesome. I'm really happy to get to work with Steve on The Office because I, you know, I mean, he, he had more pilots than anybody. My boyfriend is an NBC photographer and he used to think that when he saw Steve Carell that the pilot wasn't going to go because he had had so many. <laughs> yeah. So them on the office, he was like, uh-oh, Steve's in this. This may not go. But luckily, it was the one that broke. How long did it take like, for you to actually, like, acting became a full-time career for you? Because a lot of people, you know, you do these side gigs, but you still have to do, like, a real job that is paying you money that can support you and right. uh, a place to live. Well, I definitely had my ups and downs. But, you know, I have to say... Um, I, I literally waited tables up and through the first season of the office. 
That is really true. I still had a restaurant job because I wasn't sure. I mean, I had quit my one restaurant job when I first got hired at Second City. Like, I'm done. And then, of course, you know, uh, like six months later, I was like, oh, I'm not quite making enough money. And then I would get bigger jobs for months at a time. And then I'd still go back to waiting tables. So, but I, you know, I have like a mess. I feel like this is the thing. It doesn't mean that you're not doing it right if you still have to work another job. Like, it's not a punishment to work two jobs while you're following your dreams. I was getting enough uh, good feedback and good reviews and attention that I, I knew I was on the right track. You performed at the Aspen Comedy Festival, correct? Yeah, he was there. Yeah, Mindy Kaling was there that same time. And they, I, so the thing about the Aspen Comedy Festival, it was huge. Like, that was the festival. HBO was behind it. There were specials that were filmed there. Stars were made there. I mean, there is, you know, it was equivalent to, you know, I, you know, I don't know how that compared. How would you say the Aspen Comedy Festival compared to the Montreal Comedy Festival? Were they kind of, which one was bigger or? I mean, Aspen, I think, was, um, it felt like there was a little more room for the unexpected. Montreal feels a little bit like everybody's a little more vetted. I, I could I could be wrong, but that's kind of how I, that's a little bit how I perceive it. But I remember like, because I was doing my comedy act, The Lampshades, um, at the time, and which is like a dying lounge act. And so what they ended up doing was like they would stick people on our shows as an extra show. And, and my show cause it was more like a variety show. We were sort of like the glue through the whole thing. Um, and then like, because I remember Alex Borstein was in our show. Um, Dimitri Martin, um, they might be giants. Even did one of our shows with us. It was it was crazy. It was really fun. Yeah. So you, when you do, you know, you know, when you were doing the Aspen Comedy Festival, what's in the back of your head? Or did you walk out of there with anything? Did you get anything from doing that festival? You know what? I, uh, I had a bunch of meetings, and I feel like um, nothing quite came of it. But like a year later, I got the office. So there was something about it. It kind of felt like a weird graduation, like an invisible graduation, like you're crossing some sort of line. You're being seen. You're being acknowledged. Because, I, I mean, I, I wasn't that young. You know, I was like, I think I was like 38, you know. So, yeah. but I'd been kicking around for so long and feeling like, you know, you just kind of, you, you just, you just, I mean, I know people still remember those shows. So, like, that, that feels like enough. I mean, I remember doing a show also with, like, um, Michael McKeon and, and, um, Harry Shearer and like Kelsey Grammer, they had this at uh, Joe Rogan. It was just like this nutty thing that they kept, they kept putting together. And we also did, um, a little spot in, um, uh, Bob Odenkirk and uh, David Cross's show too. They had us do like something for them. So, you know, just, it was just, again, it's just like, it feels like a shot in the arm. It feels like a recognition, like you're seen in a way that you weren't before just like kicking around comedy clubs in LA. Cause we were playing like the knitting factory and St. Nick's and, you know, it was all like Largo adjacent. So you get the office and then you're still waiting table. So I wanted to just get into the waiting table thing. Yeah. Did you ever have any like celebrities come in and you waited on any celebs while you were working? Constantly, constantly. It was the the place where I worked was the, it, it, they closed a few years ago, but it, it's, it was right near the Academy and right near ICM. So we, we had everybody. I mean, I waited on uh, a lot of old movie stars, but I also waited on like Steve Martin or Robert De Niro or like, you know, Michael Jordan or like Whitney Houston. I mean, it was all of like directors like Wes Anderson or like Robert Altman. Um, JJ Abrams used to have writing sessions at the restaurant. I mean, it was nuts. It was like, do you remember getting any good tips from any of them? <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like I only remember the, the, uh, the douchebags. Um, <laughs> Or the amazing tippers. Everybody else is like sort of in the middle. But I will say, um, 
I was at the Emmys for the first time, um, and J.J. Abrams came up and he was like, "Oh my God, you were you were our waitress. We're so happy for you." <laughs> That's amazing. That dude is a great. So he ended up. Uh, uh, he actually ended up directing an episode of The Office. We had so many movie directors that came and directed our show, which was so amazing. So that felt fantastic. You know, I I have to say, and uh, and then other people that were just like coming up from the ranks that I knew, like I knew Jeff Garland from Second City, and I remember waiting on him, and and then like you know suddenly I, I did like a curb, and then I then I got the office. So it was like everything felt, I felt a little bit like a late. I mean, I am a late bloomer for sure, but I'm just here to say like I'm the poster child for like hang in there because. You know, sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, if you're a character person too, like older can be better. Yeah, yeah no, it's actually really refreshing to hear that obviously you hung in there and some people, you know, they get, they've been working at it for so long like you and then, you know, you, you again, they hung in there and then finally like Rodney Dangerfield, they hung in there and kind of struck a good role later in his career. Yes, it's so true. I used to wait on Rodney. Um, yes, this is so funny. Yes. Yeah, it's 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 so surreal. And and it's so it's so interesting because, of course, um, there were so many uh, producer douchebags like Harvey Weinstein. I used to wait on Harvey Weinstein a lot. I was invisible to him. But uh, but I he was not invisible to me. Uh, but what I mean by that is that I feel like I saw all the like weird behavior as an observer. And then finally, you know, because even though J.J. Abrams was like, hey, you are a waitress. There were so many people that. I would see at award shows and still do. I still run into them at, at weird events. And like, they were the people that kind of treated you like you were gum on the shoe. You know, it's just, you know, real douche, like super douchebags. How good does that make you feel though? Like when you're like, you treated me like crap, but like, look at me up here getting my Emmy now. Like, woo. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird, yeah, it's a, life is a really weird thing. I mean, I don't, I, I'm not one of those. I was never one of those those like spit in your food kind of waiters like I'm I don't I'm, I feel like that's karmically like not cool uh so I don't wish anybody ill but I'm like I don't really need to talk to you I'm, whatever you know what I mean I'm not your hostage anymore for yeah. the time that you're yeah <laughs> it's just so ironic it's just like it's never lost on me and I still kind of laugh about some of the insane situations that I've been in as a waiter and then then as an actor like whoa it's just crazy but i never even having like a call about, you know having testing for a show and then waiting on the, those producers like the next day or that night and they're like hey and you know it's like at a certain point you just you can't take it personally it's like it's it's not a punishment to work another job it's just it's just if you're doing your best that's that's all you, i mean i know other people are more into image stuff and they might think that that would work against you but i don't know for me it was just like I'm just here, you know, what, what am I going to do? This is, here we are. No, that's, that's great. Did you ever become that waitress where you wanted them to know, hey, listen, I'm a waitress, but I'm also really an actress. I'm a comedian. Did you ever kind of like kind of do that conversation with them? Yes. I used to be in it. Well, one time I used to wait on Mel Brooks and, and Bancroft a lot. Uh, and they accidentally saw my comedy act, the lampshades, because we opened for a, a singer who was their goddaughter, uh, kind of coincidentally. And um, so, so when I waited on that, he's like, "We saw you. You were funny. You were funny." You know, like you know. And to have Mel Brooks say that, but I do remember having. Um, I always had my flyer from my comedy act in my pocket, my apron pocket. And it was like always like a, "Do you are like damned if you if you tell people and give them a flyer and damned if you don't." It's like a hellish situation because you're like, "What have I got to lose?" And like, uh, it's, whatever. It's just so, it's so weird. So it's just funny. yeah. It's just, I, you know, I mean, I feel like I having a link on the internet now is probably easier than back then. Like, after sure. yeah. your show, but 
but we did have a lot of celebrity support, like early celebrity support. Like Bob Odenkirk was one of the first people that was like, I love your act, you know, I support you, you know. And then, you know, some of the older character actors that I used to wait on would come to our shows, like the guy that played Ernest T. Bass on the Andy Griffith show, Howard Morris. He was also a director. He used to be on uh-huh. shows. He came to a few of our really like important shows. He was such a sweet guy, such a supporter. He came, he came to our Aspen Comedy uh, uh, Festival audition. So I want to get back to the audition because that's that's one thing that Adam and I find so interesting. But like, how did you lock down the role on The Office? Like, what was the what was the process you went through? Well, initially, I had auditioned for the part of Jan, and obviously, they went a different way. Um, but <laughs> I, I didn't get the pilot. I didn't do the pilot. I actually replaced somebody from the pilot. And um, the pilot, wait, wait, but the pilot had another red haired girl. Am, am I correct? Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I I went in. I remember they called me. It was Labor Day week, like right before Labor Day weekend, and I had had a ticket to see my aunt in Chicago to go back there. And I was like, I can't come on Friday. Like I'm, I can't change my ticket. So they didn't find that person from that Friday. So luckily I came in like two days after Labor Day and um, I got there and there were a few actresses from Second City, but they literally, Allison Jones, our casting director said, no makeup. Now usually for women in L- in Hollywood or any in New York, any audition when they say no makeup, that usually means like, you know, mascara and a little lip gloss, like light, but they wanted nothing. They're like, take everything off. <laughs> so yeah, it was, and, they, and they're like, just, it's, you know, do not, you know, just, just play the reality of the room. That was the whole thing. Like play the reality. And I remember we did a scene from the episode from the uh, Alliance where Meredith has a surprise birthday party and Michael humiliates her with her, his horrible jokes, you know, happy birthday, the whole thing. I, uh, you know, Elizabeth Taylor called, she wants her divorces back, you know, whatever. It's crazy. <laughs> And I remember I got out of there and then Allison Jones told me to come to her office at Gower. By the time I got home, she told me to go to Gower and do it again on just a separate tape. And I did it again. And by the time I got home from there, I found out I, I got the job. So, um, but I wasn't really sure what, what it was. And I felt like because I was replacing somebody, I felt like, don't count on this. Like I, it felt very weak to weak to me (laughs) at first. I was like, uh Oh, like I hope, I hope I work out because someone else didn't. So, you know, it was a lot of pressure. So when you do the audition, is it one person in the room? Is there a f- it was only one audition, correct? Or? Yeah, it was just one audition. It was, um, wow. it was, st- uh, it was, no, it was, uh, it was Greg Daniels, um, uh, Ken Quapis, uh, who directed the pilot and was an executive producer. Um, it was um, Ben Silverman, you know, it was, I even think Phyllis was there too because she was a casting associate as well. So are you nervous when you do an audition like that because you know, you see the people in the room, you know it could obviously change your career and change your life. You know, do you have an approach when you go in or it's like, okay, strategically, do you walk in and say, okay, I know what they kind of want or you don't even know what they want? Like what is your strategy when you go into auditions? You know, I, I think I'm clearer now that I was then, but I realized like I can I can do my best job to give them what they want, but basically it's like I am so – quirky and so specific that I feel like they there's not much, I mean we're not going to switch this that much around you know I mean like I hopefully they like what I got but um but also it's funny because I feel like I in, in the lampshades in my comedy act I feel like it's a two-person dying lounge actor, and I feel like I took a lot of hits so I, I'm so glad that I got to audition with that particular scene because it's somebody so like, sort of like okay okay like somebody's sort of just accepting all these jokes at their her expense but you can tell she doesn't like it but she's stuck in the situation so it's kind of a perfect 
audition for me, I felt like, you know, I mean, just in the sense that like I knew how to play that discomfort and the pain. And I'm not, I was never afraid to just play the reality of, of, cause you know, and that's the thing about the office. It's really changed comedy and people kind of forget that like before that there weren't really painful as many painful comedy shows on TV, like maybe Larry Sanders, you know, were like super awkward, but the office took it to a whole other level. Do you, do you even have to audition at this point in your career? I do. I do. Yeah. Uh, do you just I, say, Hey, go watch a episode of the office. Cause I'm all over it. <laughs> you're hilarious. I mean, sometimes I don't, sometimes I get offered stuff. I shouldn't say that. Um, but sometimes I do have to audition and you know, it's, it's, um, I, I, I understand some of it, but some of it is just like remind you like, okay, I'm, I'm still, you know, I still am who I am. I, you know, I'm, I haven't had a facelift. Sorry. Uh, but maybe next year, but you know, whatever. It's so ridiculous. I mean, it, but I, I realize like as, as we get older, like as, um, particularly women, like it's, I feel like you always have to sort of show up like, who is she now? You know, people are always curious, like how people change. Cause you know, I mean, we, we finished shooting the office seven years ago. That was kind of a long time ago. Well, I always think of like, you know, and you know better than I, I'm sure you've, you've went on hundreds thousands maybe auditions that the casting people don't know really what they want until they see it like they could say okay we want you know uh, a 30 year old woman to play this the role but until they actually they really don't know what they want so it's kind of like it's a little bit of a guessing game or are they very like precise of what they want how would you what did you think i think it depends um but i do think there is a sense of like uh if it's a good casting director then i think they have a sense of you know, kind of who, what you can bring. It's almost like they're going to show their best, which is nice. Um, but you you just don't know, you know, I mean, it's, and I do really believe that rejection is protection. I feel like don't worry about the jobs you don't get. Don't suffer because, you know, if I, if I had suffered about the things I hadn't got, I mean, I was even up for SNL when I was in Chicago and didn't get it. Um, but I realized like, I feel like I got something better in a way for me. I, I really loved being in an ensemble show and I don't know, it just, for me, and also some, a show that still lives in everyone's heart so, so deeply. I mean, The Office is so, so beloved. It's, it's insane. It's really insane. Oh, I'm sure. Do you, you did, uh, you said you're up for SNL. Did you actually make it to the New York audition in front of Lauren? I know. I, I had lunch with Lauren Michaels in Chicago. Gotcha. Um, show that, uh, that we did that actually Jill Soloway directed, um, who Jill went on to create transparent. I did a couple shows with Jill. Um, but the show was called the Miss Vagina pageant and it felt like uh, a real pageant because (laughs) six actresses in it, four of us got considered for SNL and two got it. Uh, and one lasted a little longer than the other, but it was, it was Beth Cahill and Melanie Hutzel. This is in the early nineties. And I have to say SNL was not great, uh, to women in the early nineties. It just wasn't. It was they were kind of chewed up and spit out. Yeah, it was the boys' club then, maybe. Yeah, I had more time to cook. You know. Do you know of any other big stars that actually auditioned for the the office and didn't get the roles? Of course, uh, uh, Eric Stone Street auditioned for the part of Kevin. Wow. Came close. Wow. Uh, Bob Odenkirk, of course, was almost Michael Scott, uh, which I love that they brought him back for that episode as Pam's new boss, kind of seeing what he would have yeah, brought. Yeah. And, fantastic as well although I, I can't see anybody else with steve carell in the role but bob odenkirk is a very close second um I'm trying to think of who else those are the two those are the, the two main ones the one yeah personal yeah because i've known those guys for a long time 
crazy. It's crazy. So how much of the show was actually scripted and how much of it was it just improv? Or, you know, were you were you kind of hooked on the script or how was how was it exactly? Well, it's mostly scripted. Occasionally you'd get to to do a pass uh, where you get to improvise, but it was very specific. I feel like Steve and Rain probably improvised more than anybody, but they still did a number of takes just as written. I just feel like the writing was so good. You didn't, in any time I improvise, it's like, I can never really pat myself on the back too far because I feel like the writer sort of took you to a place and you just took a couple extra steps. Like they really paved the road, you know. Um, but I, one thing I'm really proud of, there was a scene from Moroccan Christmas where Michael Scott drags Meredith into rehab. And we shot this one scene that was, com- it was the only time we had a completely all improvised scene. And I think it was because they were just going to use it with a voiceover on top. Like they weren't going to actually listen to what we were saying, yeah. but some made it on. But it was like the chase that we had in the parking lot of the rehab center. <laughs> it's so crazy. It's so fun. And I'm like doing this whole thing where I'm like, Meredith's like, wait a minute, 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 wait a minute. Like this crazy hyper, like where she's like a cornered rat. It's so crazy. <laughs> See, that's the thing is like on the show, you were known as the drinker. You know, like the drinker person, the, the alcoholic in the office. Uh, when you go into a restaurant or a bar now, is everyone like, hey, let's have a drink? And they just want to have that photo of drinking with you? Many a free drink. I have to say many. A sh- yeah, many a shot at a bar. I've even been given um, drinks on planes. <laughs> Thank you. Keep them coming. Um, you know, it's so funny. My dad owned a bar for years and so did my grandfather. So I come I come by playing an alcoholic very honestly. I got to tell you. <laughs> I and there was always like one woman that was drinking with the boys uh, at my dad's bar. And then I remember waiting tables and bartending in New York and Chicago and, and L.A. And there was always like one woman like I can name a few Meredith's Margaret Henriette. There was a few uh, June. There was a few I can think of specifically that like fit that stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when The Office first came out, I felt like it it got mixed reviews for a while. It wasn't it didn't shoot to the top. What do you right. think changed in the show that made this show just like such an iconic show? Well, the first season was a little too close to the energy of the British show. And because the British show is, was only two seasons because I, David Brent, you know, Ricky Gervais character didn't have much heart. And I feel like the thing about Michael Scott is that even though he is a jerk, I mean, he's he's a narcissist, but he also has this weird sense of love for everyone that he works with because he expect he thinks of them as his family. So he, there's this quality that you actually do care about him sometimes, even though you don't want to. <laughs> and I think that some of that was that the writers figured that out between season one and two because Steve was coming out with 40-Year-Old Virgin. And um, 40-Year-Old Virgin Steve wrote with Judd Apatow. And I feel like they kind of figured out that that heart part and I think it was just like off to the races after that because the Jim and Pam thing of course is a lot of heart as well but if you don't care about Michael Scott at all it's tough Interesting. what a did you steal anything or take anything from the set on the last day uh I stole my um my pl- my plaster uh cast from um <laughs> when Meredith gets hit by a car and she comes in and has oh, the um, one that Jim got signed. signed yep <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you, do yes, you still have I, it? It's on my dining room table. No, I, don't, I, I do have it. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do with it. I, maybe, a, maybe a lucite box. I don't well, know. I was say, you got to like put um, it in a box and sign it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Hang it on the wall like modern art. I, I don't know. 
Um, and then I also have my boyfriend got me um, because my boyfriend worked on the show. That's how I met him. He's a, the still he was a still photographer for most of the show. He's actually dancing with Meredith uh, during the finale at at Dwight and Angela's wedding. And then he also has a line. He's a photographer in the scene when they reveal Pam's mural. So I was really happy they put him in, and he actually had that's a line. Fun. That's fun. It's great. And that's that, but that's he, all you took. You, you do you not get to keep wigs or your purple dress, the infamous purple dress? I took my purse, my Meredith purse, and I saved a lot because we had a lot of prop programs and stuff and, and memorabilia from different episodes so literally when we just did that uh, reunion for uh john krasinski show some good news i found the jim and pam the program to their actual wedding that's fun. oh that's very cool and it's so weird because i showed it and then didn't realize that no one knew jim halpert's middle name until they saw that which was J it was james duncan halpert so it was like huge internet since the internet broke for a few hours with that one. I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, these Office fans are insane. That is, they're. I mean, literally, I've had people say they leave it on all day. They fall asleep to us every night. It's just like it's on constantly. It's their white noise. It's their, you know, their comfort. So I, I mean, I have to say, it's 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 amazing to be on a show with such a legacy so quickly. It's not you. You were so physical on the show with a lot of stuff he did. Like you just said, you got hit by the car. I mean, you. I remember the one where your hair gets on fire. You were just the bat. There's so many iconic episodes where you were just so physical in the role. Did you ever get hurt doing any of the stunts? Not really. No, I, the, the getting hit by the car. I had to roll on the glass and then roll up the car. And we had shot part of it before, but we didn't end up using it. But they needed to match it just in case, so I couldn't have any padding on my arms. So I was I was pretty banged up from that. But totally <laughs> what about worth the, it. the planking one in the bathroom? Oh my god, they did have a cushion on the other side, on top of the toilet that I fell on. It so bizarre. It's like Meredith's only plank plank on the top of the men's room. Stall. It's, Do you remember oh my God, what a big was, sensation planking was, though, for a while? My God. So yes. So I mean, and, and, and parkour, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, so funny. I was going to ask so you crazy. on that note, when you would have to do these, like, nude scenes, would you – would they actually cover you up? Was it – was were you covered or was this, like, you just going for it? Uh, I was very – there was a very little cover-up. Very little. Like a little <laughs> to tape? To the point where – the camera guys did not really give me any eye contact the day of the shoot. I just got to tell you. <laughs> uh, I was like, ooh. It's like jumping out of an airplane. You're like, okay, here we go. Here it is. But, you know, I'm, I'm really happy that I got to do so much physical comedy. I felt like it was that kind of like chess game. I don't know. I just felt like I liked what the writers did with me. I, I felt like we never sort of jumped the shark with Meredith. She never became too expositional or she didn't morph into somebody else. I, I like that, you know. Yeah. I think, I think it's hard when a show runs for nine seasons not to kind of ruin some characters. So I'm happy to have not been ruined. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that just shows you how good the writing was. I think, you know, and, and this is an interesting question for you. You know, I think a lot of people see, I say The Office is, you know, similar in the same uh, same reign as Friends at, you know, different time era, but like Friends and Seinfeld. And people see the numbers that the people from the series Seinfeld and Friends are making. They're like, oh my God, these people are so wealthy. Could you live off the rest of, for the rest of your life off the money you made from The Office if you wanted to? I gotta go, you guys. It was really great talking to you. <laughs> uh, no, you know what? Only the people that really had a part, like producers on the show, made, you know, like some of the actors were producers as well. But yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I still, I'm, I still did just fine and yeah it, it was great but i i don't it's i don't think it's like a no i i think i still have to work you know 
Yeah, I, it's not. I, I kind of actually appreciate hearing that because I, I appreciate hearing it. it's like being on it. Like, yeah, because you hear about these crazy numbers, but I think we only hear about the crazy numbers because those people got ridiculous. Like Friends cast, like those numbers were so out of control that that's not common in Hollywood. And I feel like it's nice right. to hear that that's not the norm. But also, you know, just so you know, like I don't live in the apartment that I lived in when I first moved here so i i maybe if i stayed there maybe i could you know but but also like i'm helping other whatever it's like it it's just uh it, it's um yeah you, your life gets bigger whether you mean it to or not so um and trust me i'm i'm just fine i mean the work comes yeah. regularly i'm fine i'm doing great i mean I'm you're happy. doing very well so so, so the bigger the show gets the more fans i'm assuming start approaching you what is like the craziest interaction that you've ever had with a fan uh, oh my gosh, there's been a few weird, um, uh, I feel like somebody tried to hijack my dad once, which I was like, don't, don't bother him. <laughs> sitting the floor having a good time, you know, smoking a cigar. But, uh, you know, so I got hijacked at a hotel and dragged into someone's wedding. Um, I, so I took all these pictures with the wedding party in Philadelphia at the Four Seasons. And I'm thinking, I was just wearing jeans. I'm like, don't upstage the bride. What do you guys think? Did you ever have people approach you in the bathroom? I always find that to be the weirdest place for someone to come and say, hey, I recognize you, is the bathroom. Yes, yeah, somebody wanted a picture. Literally, they were knocking on the stall door. Um, everyone was really drunk. It was at the Indy 500 at the sn Snake Pit Ball. Everyone was drunk. So I was like, I'll be right out. Please don't put your phone over the <laughs> stall to get a picture of me. <laughs> Uh, that was pretty nuts. Well, I know you are one of the most popular people on Cameo. What's the craziest request you've had on Cameo? Well, I've had um, uh, some take like, uh, let's get back together or I don't want to date you anymore. <laughs> uh, I've had a few of those, which is bizarre. Um, they and really I said that? They said, can you help us break up? Like, can you help me break up with my significant other? Yes, I don't. I'll do the let's get back together, but I won't do the breakup because okay. I'm, I'm optimistic, but I'm I, I, I don't, you know, and even, you know, even if it doesn't work out in the future, it's like, OK, we gave it a shot. Like, you know, at least they cared enough to, like, ask me to do it. Like, I think somebody gets points for, you know, So what? Sorry. What do they say? Are they just like, can you can you like vouch for me and try to get my girlfriend back? Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what he did. I really don't know. Maybe this is completely unfounded and maybe you are doing the right thing, but I'm still going to ask on his behalf. That's funny. Yeah. So bizarre. I would want I would say, listen, I'll do the cameo, but I want to follow up of what happened from this. Like I want to, <laughs> I want to, I want a response. How did it all go down? They, yeah, the app has changed in the last year because I've been on it for a little over a year and I noticed like now you can get, so I have had things where like I have heard like, she still said no. Like she still, she still doesn't want to get back to you. I'm like, oh, dude. <laughs> like, there's still no refund. Sorry. <laughs> Keeping your money later. No, no, no. It's no, but it's it's you know. There's I get it right now too because so many people can't. There's so many events that are canceled. People's birthdays, graduations. You know, and I actually just spoke uh, at my high school graduation, which was um, uh, today. I, I I had to record something um, for them. Uh, you know, and basically I. I <laughs> I proudly said, you know, I graduated from the school in 1982 and it took me until 2004 to book the office. So you do the math. Sometimes it's a long road. I'm an overnight success, but that night, that night lasted 22 years. So work hard, you know, and have faith. Well, you know, with that, I want to ask you, you know, since you've been around the industry, the entertainment industry for so long, you know, what do you wish you knew 
now, or what do you wish you knew then when you first started that you know now? I wish I had written sooner and I wish I would have been, it's, you know, the acting thing is weird because it really depends on other people making decisions for you. But when you create your own material, that's how you push out of that. So I did create my own material, but I feel like I didn't start doing that till I was in my thirties. I wish I'd done it before, but you know what? I mean, I really don't have any regrets. I, I, I don't know if I was emotionally mature enough to, uh, to deal with all this when I was younger. I mean, I feel like it's, it's a burden to become famous when you're young and, and that's why so many people burn out and you don't ever see them again. Yeah. So yeah. it's tough, but you know, so I feel like take your time, slow and steady wins a race, you know, it's, you know, cause then you can appreciate it and not get so caught. I mean, and I think the internet is just so nuts. I mean, you got to really be careful what you read about yourself and how, how you let it affect you. And it's hard, you know, I was gonna say, do you, do you ever, do you read stories at all? Or do you just try to pass over them? I'm, I'm curious because people don't write stories about Ab and I, but you know, someone like you, you've gotten stories and you know, obviously Twitter can be a pretty nasty place sometimes. So what, how do you manage well, it? I'm pretty lucky because I feel like there's been a lot uh, like more goodwill than not. So, you know, and I also feel like I'm not, um, and being a, a a woman in comedy, like I'm not so obsessed with my look. So if someone's like, you know, nice face, I'm like, whatever, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I feel like I I have more defenses. So I, you know what I mean? In that respect, like it's, it's okay with me. Like, yeah, you got a thicker uh, skin. That's right. They laugh because I want them to laugh at my face. No, <laughs> like the face of rabies, but I'm okay with that. Cause yeah, I, that's okay. I, yeah. Well, you recently did Dance with the Stars. How was that experience for you? It was really good, but really hard. It was really hard. And I felt like I was cracking jokes like every three seconds, every rehearsal, because they film everything. And sometimes I'd see the package and I'm like, dude, you, you didn't use any like any of my good material. Jesus. Like, it's so <laughs> because they can they can edit anything they want. So. It was really interesting for me. Like it was, it was, uh, it was like one of the best teacher-student relationships I've ever had. My my dance partner is seven-time national pro. One time, you know, he and his wife are um, world champs as well. Like they won black. Like they're amazing. I had no business dancing with this guy, and the fact that we kept moving forward. And I was the oldest uh, person for most of the competition. I was the oldest woman by 30 years. All the other women were in their 20s, and I was I'm 55. So it was it was nuts. That was it a was big that was a big cast too. They had a lot a of great cast. That was like the first cast. It was like what, a lo- who was it, Adam? It was like Lamar Odom, James Karam. Vanderbeek, yeah, uh, Sean Spencer, uh, Mary Wilson, uh, Karamo. I mean, it was it was a, a great cast. cast. Did you connect with any of those people after, like, during the show? Like, really, kind of hit it off with any of them, or is it very competitive? Competitive during the show. I and I'll be honest with you. I felt like anytime anybody was like, "Hey, let's show each other each other's dances before Monday," I'm like, "No, I'm not doing that." Like, I don't need to get in my head. Like, you guys are younger than me. Like, I, whatever. So I did feel like I shut the door a lot. I mean, I I love everybody, but I I was it's a competition. So, <laughs> but I have been in touch with James Vanderbeek and uh, a little bit with Karamo. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, it, it's a weird thing, but it's, you know, but for me, it's like, I needed to keep my eyes on my own paper. It's not that I felt like competitive with them, but I just felt like I was competitive with myself and I needed to remind myself that this was about my next ability, not comparing myself because it's, it's really apples and oranges. It's nuts. It's nuts. Which one of your, your contestants, like the other contestants were you like most impressed with though? Um, 
Well, I, I don't know. I thought Kel did great. I mean, I, I actually thought he was going to win, but um, James is James Vanderbeek is an amazing dancer. So good. He was great. But I, yeah, I think he got robbed. I mean, yeah, I, I it's just weird. The only, I mean, the nice thing for me was that even though I didn't get to the finals, I felt like there was so much outrage when I was kicked off that it was like, because there was even an article about it in the New York Times, like, that basically saying I got robbed. I'm like, this is bizarre. But <laughs> it gave me a lot of the tour. So I did, uh, I, I, I got booked uh, 54 of the 80 shows on the tour, and everyone else just got the other, like a few other celebrities just got a week or two. So I, I and then of course we got pulled off the road because of COVID, but I did 45 of my 54 shows, so I'm very proud of myself. It was hard, but it was great. I get to host and do a couple dances. And so I hosted, I get to write my own monologue. So I get to host at Radio City and uh, the Grand Old Opry. So, I, you know, it's, I felt, that kind of felt like winning because there's so many, and we didn't do a show for under 2,500 people. It was packed every, and of course, Radio City was 6,000 people. And I used to wait tables like two blocks away. Which place did you, which place did you work at in New York? In New York, I worked at two restaurants that were owned by the same people. Um, it was uh, the Red Eye Grill on uh, 56th and 7th Avenue and right okay. next door, Rodriguez Dollar Day, right across from Carnegie Hall. Wow. Years before that, I worked, because I, li- I lived there briefly in 94, um, I worked at, um, a place called Home on Cornelia between Bleecker and West Forth in the West Village. You paid your dues. I think it's like one of those things where it's, do you feel more like, do you, does it, does it feel more special for you because you, you know, you worked so hard for it and you struggled for it. Is it, does it feel more special to you because of you, the struggle you had? I think so. I think so. I think, um, just to have a contrast in my head of, like being uncertain and to just keep working and work and realizing like, Oh no, I have to work harder. Like every year that goes by, I have to work, you know, I mean, up until I got the office, I felt like you have to work harder and harder and harder and be more consistent. So it really is like having two full-time jobs. Um, even, even more so cause you know, it's just, and you have to be, uh, pleasantly persistent because if you're angry and persistent, <laughs> very few people, uh, respond to that. So yeah, there is a lane for that, but that was never my lane. So it's like I feel like, so I feel like the mental part was really important to me, and the, and the and the spiritual part too. Just just being in gratitude and like again, not taking any of this for granted, or like where's mine, or how you know, because it's it's so easy to get twisted because I feel like this it's this is such an alcoholic vibe profession. It's so crazy, you know. And so many people act like douchebags when they make it, and you know, you don't even. And sometimes you hear about it, and sometimes you don't. Yeah, uh, and I feel like. I probably could be more famous if I had a bigger uh, jerks working for me, but I, I don't want to work with a jerk. I, hey, I have more power to you. I was going to say, was it pretty surreal? Because this is this is, this has to be a, a moment that you look and you go, oh, my God. They made a Funko toy out of you. I saw that. How They're cool huge. is that? These things are so big. It. It's nuts. It's nuts. Yes, the barrette. It's my casual Friday. Uh, they blurred out my... Your boob. My dress, right. That's so funny. So you had the, the, the yeah. infamous purple dress on. You had. So when did, did they contact you and say, hey, we're doing this? Or like, how does that go down? Okay, last year, uh, literally like this week or next week last year, I was at in Everett, Washington for my boyfriend's son's high school graduation. Because uh, they live in a small town, but they were, they were, the graduation was at this hockey stadium that's right near Funko, where Funko was. And I'd never been, and we were staying around the corner, like in a hotel, and we're like, what is it? Chris's like, we gotta go in, we gotta, let's. So we went in, and someone recognized me, and they're like, oh my gosh, we're doing a Michael Scott 
Funko Pop. And oh my gosh, we, we I'm like, well, when are you going to do Meredith? So I, I almost feel like because I stopped in there, I put so much pressure on <laughs> that it paid off a year later. So you talked to him then. Was there any other follow-up in between then and now? Yeah. They, they contacted me. They invited me to a big party in November when because Funko Pop opened on Hollywood Boulevard. So they invited me to the premiere. So I met, I met the guy that runs the whole thing. And he's like, no, no, we're doing the office. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And I've had a lot of people say, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So I'm really glad they came through. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. You, I, I have to say. I say you have to keep that one, keep it in the box, and then go buy another one. Right. I, no, they sent me a few. They sent me a few. Yeah. For, you might be signing that for the next couple of years. That's going to be the new thing you're going to be autographing. All, all good. Yeah. I mean, it's because I'm, I'm doing, so, you know, I was doing some Comic-Cons. A few of us in the office started to do Comic-Cons this past year. And uh, I guess they're going to be doing some virtual ones. So we're doing like something called V shout where people can send stuff to have a sign and we'll like take a picture with it, like, and just whatever, or a little video with it. It's, it, but it, I think it's, you know, we have great fans, so I don't mind. That's awesome. And you're doing some, you did recently did this Peggy Lee tribute. Uh, tell us about that. Well, I've been singing, um, at, at, in character for years. Like I, like I usually said, I don't, I only sing with a wig on, but now I sing for real. Cause I started singing with Jane Lynch five years ago. She asked me to be part of her, like just to figure out an act together. And, uh, so we played big places in New York, like the Carlisle hotel, uh, Joe's pub. We played the Kennedy center. We played a lot. Um, we have a Christmas album together that did really, really well. So anyway, I, I sing, um, I usually sing with the Tony Guerrero quintet, but they asked me, uh, Dave Damiani, who's on SiriusXM, asked me to be a part of the Peggy Lee 100th birthday. So I got to record one of Peggy Lee's songs. Um, it's a good day for singing a song. And um, it's, I guess, the, in the Centennial is this month. And so it's, you're, but I think you might hear it longer. And it's on Spotify. And um, it's just a great arrangement. And Tony Guerrero plays trumpet on it. He's amazing. These are jazz guys. Like, they're they're really great. They have a great sensibility. It's it's you know it's not like the weather channel jazz i'm just saying it <laughs> it fits you so well like it's just with what you've been doing it just if it, it just works great well, i feel so lucky because it's so weird like i i studied all this stuff when i was in college and then like i feel like i didn't really sing seriously and then a few years ago i really got to step it up and then i danced in college and didn't dance for years and then like i got to step it up so i feel like crazy fortunate that you know i've been asked and i i've felt like some success in the process and just and just some joy in the process because I really I really enjoy it. It's crazy. I used to band in New York too like you in the 90s with John Flansburg from the Maybe Giants. I sang backup for his other band called Monopuff. So there was a little bit of like breadcrumb trail of like where I am now. Bizarre. And and last question, you have a twin sister? I do, but we don't look alike. You don't look alike. No, and she's way funnier than I am. She's a social worker, so I'm the evil twin. <laughs> but is it is it hard for her? Like, it's not hard, but is it interesting for her to like go to work and be like, "Oh, that's my my twin sister is on the office," and they got to be like, "Fuck you, no way." There's like, <laughs> like, do they even believe her? Because you guys, it's like, no, my twin sister is one of the stars of the office. Yeah, I. I I'm sure it's a it's a weird thing to navigate, uh, uh, but she's amazing. And like I said, she's she is way funnier than I am. She's got a great a great sense of humor, and I, I you know I think um, you know I think I think she's okay with it. I think I think she's always been okay with it. But at first, I was like, oh no, this has got to be the biggest pain in the ass. You know. <laughs> I love it. Well, 
Thank you so much, Kate. We can't. I know we can't keep you all day. Uh, it was awesome so to talk you. to you. you, know, you. I, I really appreciate it. And I just want to say to anybody, like, literally, I feel like if you work hard and, and you know that you're on the right path, just keep going. Just keep, don't worry about what other people tell you. You know what I mean? Like, it's okay. Late blooming is, is a great thing. It really is. So just slow and steady. Don't give up on yourself. That's really great to hear. I really appreciate that, Kate. Thank you. And yeah, where, can, where can people find you on social media, by the way? Um, on Instagram at the real Kate Flannery, on Twitter at Kate Flannery, Facebook at Kate Flannery. Um, do you want my passwords? Yeah, if you don't mind, <laughs> just shoot them on over. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Kate. You were awesome. And, and on Cameo, I'm uh, at uh, Kate Flannery. You know that. Yeah. So thank you guys. Thank you so much. Really. Wow. You know what's so? so I'm going to ask you, Dax. What was your biggest takeaway from that interview? Work hard. Work hard and don't give up. And I know that we hear that a lot with some of these actors and actresses that are like, you know, you're going to go and you're going to audition a thousand times and you're going to get told 999 times. And then it's going to be that one time that, you know, like someone says yes. And that's going to be your big breakthrough. But it's true. Not everyone like not everyone is living this like fantasy life of like becoming a super celebrity overnight and becoming famous at the age of 18 and people worked really hard for their, their careers. And I, I think that that is something that people need to hear because trust me, I don't know about you, you, but like I've had times where I'm like, I'm fucking over this dude. You know what I'm saying? Like I worked <laughs> How so much hard. more rejection can I take? <laughs> right. I mean, and so I think that it's nice to hear it from someone that did enter like, well, got her big break later in life. And it's yeah. funny because 38 is not really later in life, but for an actor it is. Yeah, I mean, listen, you go into it pretty much right after high school. You know, you're 18 years old, you get into it, and it takes a long time. And listen, she was she was getting some roles here and there. She was working, she was happy, but then she got the role of a lifetime, which here's my two takeaways. She got the role just from one audition. I thought that was pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. Like, from one audition, she got the role that changed her career. You know, it wasn't like a few auditions to keep going and then do some – uh, some studio tests and some character tests. No, she did one audition, and they said, we want you on the show. And yeah. she replaced someone on the show, and just like that, everything changed. Well, the my, other thing I thought was funny was that she didn't give up her her job as a waitress. Like, that, yes. that's how, like, messed up the entertainment industry is, that you never feel secure in your job. And literally, you could probably talk to the biggest actors and actresses out there. You always have this feeling of, like, you're going to get replaced. And I can tell you, even, like, the top people, like the anchors, you know every day that they go in, they're like, shit, if I call in sick and someone comes and fills in for me, there's a good chance that they're going to like them and let me go next time that my, my, my contract's up. There's always that feeling, and she kind of felt like this show might go away, my my character might get written off. Like, there's a lot of insecurity in the entertainment industry. Tons of it, and you can't blame her for doing that. It's just that, you know, you you know you you need that money to survive, you know, and you as soon as you get that first role, you're not like okay, game's over, I'm done. She had to consistently work. The other takeaway I had from it was. Again, like we said, people think when you do a show like Frasier, when you do a show like Seinfeld or whatever TV show, oh, they're they're set for life financially. Now, don't get me wrong. She's very, very financially fortunate. comfortable. Yeah. yeah, she's very financially fortunate. She made that very clear. She's very she's not she's not doing bad, but she still needs to work. You know, like she's still a working actress, so she can't put her hands behind her head and say, I'm going to retire. And, you know, even though it is one of the maybe top 
most biggest sitcoms of all time, but she still has to work. And I respect that a lot that, uh, you know, like she's, you know, she's continuously trying to work on this career and she's doing well. She danced with the stars. She's still in the role. She's doing what she first started out. She's on, she just finished up tour. So she's crushing it. So thank you for her for joining it. And thank you guys for listening. You can find me at, at Adam Glenn on all social media platforms. You can find Dax Holt at, at Dax Holt, D-A-X-H-O-L-T. And uh, we will see you guys later. Bye. A Media Production.